Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where it's probably best that we don't beat around the bush. We don't try and be positive because there's nothing really to be positive about after Everton were humbled with a 5-0 defeat away to Spurs on Monday evening. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Conor O'Neill and Gav Buckland, where we're going to try and uh, di- dissect what, what, we, uh, what we saw on Monday night, which was... Really not a pleasant experience for the three of us, but uh, Connor, we'll start with you. I mean, as we're recording on this Tuesday afternoon, I've only just got back. I got back from London about an hour ago. Haven't watched that game. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Everton fans who did the same as me. Stayed over in London, just got the train back. We'll only just be getting back now. There'll be a lot of Everton fans who got the coach down or drove down themselves, and you know it was a really, really late night slash early morning for them to uh, to get back after watching that and. What they got in return for their hard effort and you know significant financial expense to go down and watch that was, well, it was nothing short of shambolic, really, wasn't it? It was, and I said it half time last night on Twitter. You know, Everton's players don't deserve the support you get from from Everton's fans. It's as simple as that now, isn't it? You know, me, me, me and you were at Southampton. That was shambolic. Newcastle Tuesday night away was another horror show to go with the many other horror shows that we've had that this season on the road. Yeah, they, they just the Evans players don't deserve the support to get to. They, you know, you look last night, a packed away end, going in hope against the Tottenham team who were, who were probably there to take in many respects. You know, they've got a mixed bag of results. I know they beat Man City, but it was only last week they jumped out the cup by Middlesbrough. They've looked a little bit flaky. Conti's obviously said a few things that have seemed to ruffle a few feathers behind the scenes as well in terms of his future and, and transfer targets. So you think, you know, it's a good time for Everton to, to go there and, and try and get a positive result. I mean, and I don't just mean when, I mean, even if Everton got a point last night, it would have been a point in the right direction with them on the road and it would have been, you know, something positive to, to take moving forward. But instead, we just got served up another horror show, didn't we? It was, it was embarrassing. And, and, and the, the, it, it says it all when the real positive was that it was only 5 0 because it could have been 5 0 at half time. And when the fifth one in after what, an hour before the hour mark, you're genuinely hoping this, yeah. this could get to 6, 7, 8, yeah. Because every time Tottenham went forward, you thought they're going to score. You know, they just carved Everton open at will. Everton didn't really, couldn't cope with the pace, couldn't cope with the, you know, Spurs' counter-attacks, the way they were set up, seemingly played into Tottenham's hands in terms of space it left in behind. And, yeah, it was it was horrific. And it was alarming, wasn't it? Because I think I haven't, I haven't watched... The beauty of Monday night, the Monday night game is that you can watch the weekend unfold. And I haven't watched the weekend unfold in terms of, you know, the early game on, on, on Saturday and Leeds getting beaten. And then, you know, Norris being beaten by Brentford. Um, barely collapsing against Chelsea, um, you know, Watford being edged out by Arsenal on a Sunday. You can't afford, but if I haven't got a punt here tomorrow, that, you know, to, to put more, I put more than what the, the rivals have got and I'll put them on good stead and give them a chance. You know, instead, I've got a, a, a mate who's a, who's a Burnley fan and, and he texted me this morning saying, I thought we were dead in days after Saturday, we were that bad. 
for having watched you last night. I've got confidence for you to stay up now because it's given everyone hope. So, you know, if you're a manager of one of the opposition clubs going into training today, you'll be saying to your players, Look how bad Everton were last night, lads. We're still in it. We've got a chance here. We've still got, we can still stay up. And that's the, the worrying thing. Everton sent the wrong message out last night. The message should have been Everton have gone and got a hard four points or three points on the roads. They looked to turn a corner. Instead, they just produced more of the same. In fact, it was probably it was probably the worst of the bad bunch because they just fell up the way they fell apart and, and they offered nothing. And they probably give all their rivals hope now and, and it makes this weekend absolutely huge. I mean, we've we've, we've emphasised this podcast the the home form, Goodison being a fortress and it'll probably be the, the the thing that keeps Everton up. But, you know, they've got to be walking on this weekend because there's a very positive positive prospect that they could be in the Boston three by the time they kick off on Sunday. So they've, they've got to they've got to get three points because you know yes and, and they've got to show a bit more fighting character and desire because that was no way there was no way that was no mean maybe Anthony Gordon come off with it they will say a bit of credit and look crestfallen again but you know again it seems it just seems isn't it every time like away from home we have a bad result we can pick Anthony Gordon and say well he showed heart he showed passion he showed desire but no one else did it's just the same rhetoric isn't it after every game I mean you beat most of them at, at yourself it's just the same narrative is it that comes out of every way game and I think. Ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it was a horror show and, you know, it, it's left a lot of Evertonians worried and I think we're all right to be worried because if that's what we're saving up now in these busy parts, then it's going to be a long, long six, eight weeks bef- before the season's out. Mm. I think, Gav, what, what worried me is that I was speaking to a few Tottenham journalists, both a half-time and a full-time uh, in in yesterday's game, and they they kept saying to me, Tottenham haven't even played well. They haven't had to they haven't had to play that well, and they scored five goals. As Connor rightly says, it could have been eight or nine. And I think the thing that kept coming up was again a point that Connor made there. Everton just set up in a way that just played consistently into Tottenham's hands, didn't it? They were pushing their own fullbacks forward, allowing their wing backs far too much space uh, on the yeah. counter attack. And every single time, Everton were just outnumbered and they just did not learn from that mistake from about the 10th minute onwards. Yeah, yeah it's more that the 5 never was pushed as much down to our total inadequacy uh, than Spurs playing well. Yeah, I was surprised. Surprised at the way we set up. I think we spoke about the Man City game being like a sort of template. We're playing for the rest of the season, 4-3-3, keep it tight. You know... Don't give the opposition space, but at the same time, be flexible enough when you have got the ball to move forwards. And we did that against City in the first half, in particular, and against, you would say, against you know weaker teams for want of a better word. You'd obviously hope to be able to uh, be on the offensive a bit more. I was surprised we set the way we set up. I was surprised with the team. Team she was looking at that. Thought, well, that looks all right. <laughs> Well, there's only one Obviously. change, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Well, the from the City was, game, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The problem was it looked like four three three, but it wasn't that in in reality. It was more like four two three one, wasn't it? With Takore playing like a sort of strange sort of eight to ten role, mm. which is not his game anyway. If you're going to do that, you play Van der Beek, wouldn't you, in that role? Um, and Takore is good, as we've seen against City, picking the ball up at the edge of the area and driving forward. It's not his game to pick the ball up outside the opposition area and as you say quite rightly what that did that left space or two defensive midfielders that left space between them and the flanks for for the opposition to to move into or as what's happened our fullbacks moved into and left a load of space behind them which was two of the goals were like that weren't they 
uh, one or two other skirmishes. So I think although the players were absolutely inept, apart from one or two exceptions, uh, I don't think that the way Frank set them up uh, helped at all. And uh, I was looking at the start and thinking something's wrong here. And it's tough. We were not playing 4-3-3 here whatsoever. We're playing 4-2-3-1. Not helped by the fact that actually none of the other people up front apart. I mean, Anthony tried, but put a shift in. But I don't know whether he's, whether he's got the requisite quality when you're playing against Spurs. I'm not sure, but he was an exception. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, wasn't exactly a defensive masterclass, was it? No. <laughs> it was just and, and to be fair, a goalkeeper masterclass because that was a crucial error by uh, Jordan at a, a peak, uh, you know, at a big time in the game. So it was there was very few, few positive things about that last night at all. It was uh, it was absolutely woeful. Mm. I mean, Connolly, we've we've talked about the defence there, and I think I've seen. A lot of conversation about two defenders in particular. I mean, we'll we'll start with Michael Keane. It was his mistake, obviously, that led to the first goal. He was unfortunate enough to direct it into his own net. Frank Lampard said after the game that he was suffering with a bit of an illness beforehand and he made himself available despite that illness. Uh, he was taken off at half-time, of course, and replaced by Jadda Branthwaite. Um, given, given the news that Lampard delivered at the end of the game yesterday... Do you think he really should have been in the starting lineup? No, I don't. I was a bit baffled by that, if, if I'm being honest, because I don't really get why we're playing half the players who, who got illness. I mean, you know, the position we're in, we need everyone in the battle and ready to go and give it 100%. If you've got players who are, who are 100% and people, um, you know, they're not 100%, then it makes no real sense to, to play them. I don't really get, you know, why Brown wasn't given it off from the start if if Keane was, was sick and. You know, if he's good enough, he could have put him on the bench if he, if he really needed to and tried to get an hour off him if, if needed. But, yeah, I didn't really get the the admission Frank made there. I thought that was a little bit naive on his part. And I think what, what Gav said there as well in terms of the way he set the team up, I think that was the big thing, wasn't it, as well? Is, is there was a lot of naivety, I think, from Frank Lampard uh, last night, the way he set the team up, the, the way certain players played in, played in certain positions. And then, like I say, you know, after the way he says, you know, Michael Keane has, has, has been ill, but he, he felt he was okay to start. Well, I think in those situations, the manager's got to make a decision for the defender and tell him, you know, if you're not 100%, you're not playing. It's as, it's as simple as that. You know, Everton are in a position where they can just, you know, they've got the flip-flops on now and it's, you know, let's just see the season now until we'll go again in the summer. You know, they're battling for every point that they can get. You know, they're in a relegation dogfight. They're, they're in one place above the drop zone. They need everyone in 100% form. They need everyone firing. You know, if he wasn't 100%, he should have been nowhere near that starting lineup. And, you, know, you could say, you know, that that decision Everton he wasn't the only one, Michael Keane, by the way, you know, who, who had an offline, but it, it could you could say that played a massive part in Everton finding themselves in the position they did at the break where let's face it, the game was pretty much over and and was well away from Everton's grasp. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
it's kind of a fine line to walk, isn't it, really, Gav? Because obviously everybody will look at individual performances for a lot of players. And, you know, after performances like that, I do think that there are a lot of players who took to the pitch who deserve criticism for the way that they played. But as we've already said, there were real systemic issues in the way that Everton set up and it kind of invited the pressure that Tottenham ended up putting on those those defenders to make those individual mistakes in the end. So, where, where, I, I suppose I'm trying to say, where does the blame really lie? I mean, I suppose we, we shouldn't really be pointing fingers at this point. Uh, but, you know, it, it, you, you can't... You, you can't help it after a performance like that, really, can you? I, I, yeah. I think you've got to blame everybody, haven't you, really? Uh, the manager for <coughs> being naive in the way he's set up. Um, he spoke, I think, after the game about allowing spare space behind the defence, when in many respects his tactics had sort of encouraged that. I would also query, like Connor, the selection of Keane. Um, with all due respect to fit Michael Keane as a as a week eighty for us at the moment, one that's not hundred percent. And you get you get the impression with Michael because nobody's like confidence wise that if he's not feeling great, is are they going to help his confidence? Is it really? And I also wonder whether it was well known to the rest of the team whether he was unwell because that's not to give them confidence, is it? Mm. If certainly Holgate. Um, who sort of at least he gave a wake up call to Michael, didn't he, by smacking him in the face? In probably if that's what you want, you want to call us. As many said on social media, was pretty much summed up our season in the space of less than a second. Mm. So I think everybody had an answer to your question. Uh, players and the manager. Um, I think Frank sometimes has got to been pointed out before sometimes I think he can after the game perhaps and this may be because of his standards as a as a hugely successful professional you know temper some of his criticism of players because he's ultimately the manager and um, you may be able to get away with it when you're successful or you know but when, when you're with, with Everton are at the moment it I, I wouldn't say it's blame shifting but I think he probably needs to sort of be careful in what he what he says because sometimes it just sounds as if he's blaming the players and criticising the players when actually some of the bits last night as we've said uh, are not necessarily due to due to their efforts or, or lack of effort really um, so I think that's a lesson learned for him I think it's just, just I've done it in a couple of games. I think it was just Southampton, Newcastle, where he come out with some similar stuff. It's great for the great for the media. Plenty of sound bites, but just just be careful there uh, when morale's low. And it was uh, it was some interesting comments from him after the game. Mm. I suppose Connor, in terms of the defence, Lampard knows that he's kind of been dealt a bad hand. Obviously, he lost Ben Godfrey in his first game in charge of the club. He lost Yeri Mina in his second game in charge of the club. I believe Yeti Mina is still about four or five weeks away from being fit. Godfrey is back in training this week. And I mean, of, of, of course, Ben Godfrey is going to come back in and he's going to improve Everton's options in that area of the pitch. But do Everton need to temper their expectations a little bit? Because, I mean, you know, we, we've seen the, a, a very similar situation up at the top end of the pitch, haven't we, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin? You know, we were 
we were told for weeks, months that you know the seasonal change once Dominic's fit again, it hasn't really it hasn't really panned out that way. So Everton can't really afford to put their eggs all in the Ben Godfrey basket at the minute to try and come in and sort out this defence, can they? No, they can't. And uh, I think, you know, I, I wrote a piece of, uh, around Christmas time saying, you know, Dom was about to feel pressure probably never felt before, and in in that sense of, well, you know, it'll be all right once Calvert Lewin gets back fit, he'll score. 15 goals for us in the second half of the season and we'll come to get mid-table. I think if anything you've seen with Dominic Calvert-Lewin that perhaps he's, he's maybe come back a little bit too early in terms of he's not being fully fit and fully up to match sharpness and he's being just thrown in there because of the desperate situation that we find ourselves in and you kind of feel like history's probably going to repeat itself with Ben Godfrey in the sense that the minute he's kind of deemed fit enough to play, he will be playing because Everton are uh, 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 you know, fighting relegation options are limited, you know, things are going from bad to worse at the back if, if we're being honest. So he'll be he'll be thrust into that, you know, that, that situation and sometimes that doesn't do the player any favours because it's kind of putting them out there and, and people are highlighting and saying, well he looks a million miles off it. Well he probably is still a million miles off because they might have only done, you know, a handful of training sessions and they've had no much practice. They they been, you know, thrust into the line. Like so yeah, I think I think you know it, in a sense, it is going to be a history repeat itself, but I think the fact that Everton find themselves one place above the drop zone means that they've got very little choice because, you know, we are now in a desperate situation. Frank Lampard himself is in a desperate situation because, you know, if this carries on, you get the feeling that Everton will be playing in the Championship next season, which is what no one, no one at the club wants. So, you do, you know, he probably will be rushed back. Whether it's the right or wrong thing to do, only, only time will tell when we see him play. But, you know, it, it's not ideal and it's not... It's not, I think, what Frank Lampard would want to do, but I think it's more the case he's got to do because his options are so limited and Goffey's such a good player and a part and part of the team that, you know, he will have no choice but to, to put him straight in. And, you know, it's just sad, as it, again, now to find themselves in, in a situation where all the money they've spent, you know, 500 million pounds in the last five years. And, you know, again, it's like, you know, three or four players without them, but often they get back fit and they've got to put them straight back in. The lack of squad depth is... Is, is again, you know, shining through that it's just not good enough, and you know, it's, it's just another kind of trapped in this sorry, sorry state of, of a season, isn't it? And you know, it, it almost feels like everything this season that has been bad about the club in the last, you know, six, seven, eight years has come home to roost this season, and we're seeing it in full effect. And you know, the lack of squad depth and players being rushed back when they're probably not fit. You know, Charleston was probably rushed back when he wasn't fully fit at the start of the season, in in because of the desperation to get results and, and try and get safe is is. It's clear to all to see. Mm. I mean, sticking with Godfrey, Gav, when, well, it's going to be a when Godfrey does get thrown straight back into the team, you presume. Where'd you play him? Because going, going by last night, I think he could legitimately put a case forward for Godfrey coming in as a centre-back, as a right-back, because I think Seamus Coleman really struggled uh, yesterday, especially yeah. when Ryan Bessignon was on the pitch, or even as a left-back. <laughs> he, he, he could legitimately improve yeah. all of those positions, which is, he's played, you know, it's a string to his bow, but it's a real issue that Lampard's got, isn't it? I think he's played central defensive midfielder in a previous life, hasn't he, as well? Yeah. Um, <laughs> depends who the opposition are. I'm just wondering whether, I mean, I don't, don't know about Michael Keane, whether he's fifth or Sunday, and I will be talking about it later in the week about whether you play back three. Um, but I don't know. I know it's sort of probably something that can't be proved, but you do wonder the impact of, of COVID, don't you, on Ben Godfrey? Mm-hmm. 
know, you hear stories along COVID and people who are affected for a long period of the time, you know, you don't know whether there's maybe something going on there because he's, he's say he's a shadow of the player he was last season, but there's something, something not quite right there, is there? And whether it's the lack of confidence in the rest of the team that's affected them. But he's certainly not not um showing the same zest as what he what he had last season. Um and as you say, Adam, you, you've just sort of given one of the answers there. The fact that he's been shifted around so much in his Evan career thus far has probably not helped him when he's maybe struggling himself for form where you've not got your own position that you can settle into. Um but I fully yeah, I mean, I fully expect them to play on Sunday, but maybe in a back three if if uh, if 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 that's the case. Um, but they can come in the back two. I'm not so sure because Wolves play back three, don't they? A lot of the time, so they may just choose to match mm-hmm. up. I mean, other players who've come back when not fit. I mean, I don't think Decore is fully fit, is he? I mean, that's mm-hmm. another one on the list this season of players who are who are obviously playing and a little bit handicapped and being rushed back. Well, I, think, I think Lampard would have loved the opportunity to have rested them against Bourne and Wood, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I'm not helped by the fact our slow start in that game took the opportunity away that rest them at half time and we're winning 2 0. You know, um, so I think that was a that was an opportunity missed. So um when you look at it this season, we've had lots of lots of plays, haven't we? A key moments who just not not formed you know, perform to their potential, but possibly because they're not, you know, or anywhere near hundred percent fit. Mm. I mean, Connor, I don't want to just focus on the defense because, you know, while there was a lot of errors in defense, I think it was all over the pitch that Everton really seemed to struggle against Spurs. And I mean, going forward, there's another game without without a shot on target. I think I'm right in saying. I mean, it's just the the, the lack of creativity. I think was something that really hit home to me, especially in the last half an hour of the match when Spurs completely, well, almost completely took the foot off the gas, kind of considered the last sort of portion of the match as a training exercise. And Everton still couldn't really hurt them or create much. They'd they'd sat deep. They were allowing Everton to play in front of them. And Everton weren't really, they weren't making any runs in behinds. There weren't any sort of intricate passing moves or anything like that. It was It was almost as if they'd run out of ideas after the first 10 minutes of the match, which... You know, on top of the defensive mistakes that are being made, that's got to be a real concern as well, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was embarrassing, wasn't it, the last kind of half an hour? It was, it was embarrassing in the sense of Spurs were just like, well, you know, the damage is done, we're just going to put our feet up and let's see what you have gone. The fact we had absolutely nothing to, nothing to throw at them was, was embarrassing and worrying because you would like to think that in that situation there where, you know, the tempo's not a million miles an hour, Spurs took some of the better... Some of the we've made changes, they they look to change things around. That I think could have at least you know, laid the glove on it. I think you know, the only chance we really had was Calvert Lewin's kind of shot across the, the face of the goal, wasn't it? 4 0 when Richardson come come sliding in. That was I think as close as we got. Um yeah, it, it was worrying because again, I think you know, we were we knew we were Southampton and it was just the same there, wasn't it? They haven't never really laid the glove on Southampton that day. They had a penalty appeal early on, but they never really carved at Southampton open, never really you know, made clear good chances. And I mean, even if you look at Boreham Woods, I mean, Boreham Woods, he, he didn't create many clear good opens, did he? Think of, you know, especially the first half, one or two chances, which you know, they're playing nationally league opposition. 
and, and they're still struggling to kind of put attacking phases of play together. So I think it is worrying. And, but I think, again, this has been the problem of Everton's season, hasn't it? They, they've just not looked good in the final third. And, you know, I know we, we've always pointed the finger up, you know, but Charleston hasn't played or Cavalier hasn't been the focal point or, you know, Rondell hasn't got the the kind of energy or the legs to get around the pitch like Calvert Lewin has, so we're always going to struggle. But that was kind of Everton last night with Charleston, Gordon, Calvert Lewin on the pitch, and Van der Beek, you know, in midfield, and we still didn't carve up and create anything. And it is worrying because at some point we've got to start scoring goals because the only way you win football matches if you start scoring goals. So I, I think ultimately we do need to find a way to, to start scoring goals because it, it's going to be, you know, it sounds. Stuart is going to be key for us to, to stay up because Ralph can't win a game. And right now, this minute, you just don't see Everton really testing or laying the glove on. Even an, an organised back line, that might not even be brilliant, but just does the basics. Everton just seems can't break them down, which is what Boreham was there last week. And, and Everton couldn't break them down in the first half. So, yeah, it is worrying. And I think that's, you know, gets overlooked, doesn't it, going forward? I think because of how bad we are defensively and how quick people are to kind of, you know, point the finger at the back line and, 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 and and point out the mistakes there, but we've, we've got to be seeing more up front. We've got to be seeing more in terms of energy. You know, I know Calvert-Lewin should come back from injury. You know, there's question marks whether he's fully fit. We've probably got to see a little bit more than what we saw from him last night. I think there's a few times where it seems he's just like he's jogging through the motions. Richarlison, likewise, or you know, Gordon trying his hardest, but he's got limited options where he just get the ball. And a lot of the time, he's finding himself in, in areas the pitch where he can't do no damage. So, it's just, for me, it's just it's, it's a bigger area as concern as, as the defence. Because, like I say, if we can't score goals, we're not going to win any football matches. Taking that point Which on, is, uh, Gav. <laughs> 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 I mean, taking that point on, Gav, is Dominic Calvert Lewin a guaranteed starter for Everton in the current form that he's in? Uh, no. No, I'd say, I'd say to Connor as well, we need to stop conceding them as well, don't we? Yeah. more goals, concede less. Yeah, I know we're going to talk briefly later on about Gordon Lee, sadly, sadly passed away. Yeah, I remember him saying once near the end of his tenure, um, we haven't got any problems apart from at the front. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's sort of where we are at the moment. History repeating itself. Yeah, uh, Calvert-Lewin, no. I mean, I know sort of it was a bit maybe overhead my criticism of him last time out, but I'm not going to overhead it from yesterday. I thought he was awful. Um, I One of the things with Calvert-Lewin is, is he come back, he was saying before Christmas, which is nearly three months ago, he's played in six of our last seven Premier League matches and a lot of game time. In, in those times. So he came back into Brighton, which is what, 10 weeks ago, nine weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And people well, are still saying about him. Yeah. Oh, he's got fitness issues. Well, I mean, well, hang on here. I mean, he, he, he didn't come back after a six month layoff three weeks ago, did he? I mean, I know he's had a few little hiccups in that time and a few stains near it, but that's to be expected when he'd been off the long term. So uh, I, I don't put it in any way at the moment. Well, what I would say, well, maybe it is. There's either two issues here, Ad. It's a bit like Michael Keane, I suppose. It's either he's not fit and is playing, and that's an issue for us in terms of our, our survival chances, as Connor was saying about you know, scorer goals and all that. Or he is fit and he's playing way below his potential for lots of different reasons, and there's lots of speculation there, nothing about it at the moment. Either way, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, and 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 I'm afraid of those issues. You justifiably not playing on 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 uh, on Sunday and and reject. I mean, I don't know what the Mara Gray's availability is is, but the sooner he's back in the team, the better. Um, I mean, I'd like to see our performances analysed with Demare Gray in the team this season and Demare Gray out. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'd play I'd play Demare Gray as soon as possible. I mean, to this point, I thought Richarlison was poor last night. He was, I don't know where he was playing, sort of left, but he t- tended to crop up in the middle, and he looked a bit of a lost soul. Um, I mean, I keep on hearing, oh, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, we get 110, 120 million quid for them. Yeah, right. Well, seven Premier League goals between them this season. I think, think Cal- Calvert-Lewin, I think, has got has he got four from open play in the Premier League, his last 24, 25 Premier League appearances. Go, mm. I mean, this lack of form with Carver Lewin doesn't predate predates from the return team in January. It goes back to the second half of last season. He's a player that he's, you know, he needs to become something more than a, a streaky player only scores when the team he's playing for is playing well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would have no no problem dropping him on Saturday, on Sunday, even if it's just a shot across the bow to say, listen, mate, we're in struggling there, but you know. You, you and the team's weakness even more, uh, and I think he needs to pull his socks up, uh, Carvet Lewin, and mm-hmm. um, show more. And I, I, I'd have great ahead of Carvet Lewin in the team all day long. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Connor, you know, we've talked, let's, we've talked about the attack and defence. Let's talk about the midfield as well because I think there were there were there were clear issues to be had there. You know, as Gav quite rightly says, Abdullah Decore was playing in something of a more advanced role, especially when out of possession. He was pressing very, very high up the pitch. He was leaving a lot of gaps in that midfield. The uh, Spurs were able to take really, really good advantage of. I think that Bentacore was really good for them. Kulusevski was really good for them. Harry Kane obviously dropped off into that area. And that's something that we knew that Harry Kane was going to do. He was going to drop into that midfield. But Everton didn't really seem to have any sort of plan to to stop him when he did drop off into that area. And it, it, it was just, it was a bit baffling to watch really because it, it just seemed like all of those three players in the midfield just got completely bypassed, whether it was going forwards or or trying to defend their own goal. It, it was it was as if they just hadn't played. It was it was very weird. They didn't know what to do, wasn't it? They didn't know what to do. It was, it was what Gav said earlier about you know, the way they, they lined up. It was strange, wasn't it? I mean, I don't. I don't think. I think the the, way, the problem is that I don't think any of us would have had any issues with the freedom starting when we see names on the team sheet because they're probably the three midfielders that we'd all pick. But when you see them lined up the way they was, you're thinking, "Well, that's a little bit strange and uh, maybe a little bit naive and a little bit bold." And, and after 20 minutes, you're thinking, "It's like the three of them don't know who's meant to be playing where." And you no, know, you you kind of got you know arms getting sucked across the pitch, and you know there was massive spaces and, you know, people couldn't track the runners. And the thing that really got me with, with, with the way we set up and, and standing around Kane was, for weeks now, all people have been on about is, is how good he is at playing that role. I was dropped back in. You know, you think of after City beat, after Tottenham beat City at the Etihad, there was like a massive, you know, kind of analysis on like, you know, Kane's unbelievable, dropping in the pocket of space, you know. So everyone knew what to expect. They knew what way Kane was going to play. This wasn't sprung on them from nowhere. You know, they, they should have known what to expect. You no, know, Frank Lampard, should have known what what was coming, and it just seemed so naive and so you know bold, and and ultimately it was all wrong. And I just think that the, the midfield three they just they didn't know what to do. Wasn't that was the biggest problem? They didn't know who to track. They didn't know where to stand. They didn't know whether to 
to hold the position or you know, track runners or go and press the ball. It just seemed all chaotic, and, and it, it come across that way because you know I don't I don't think Everton never got a foothold in the danger in the middle of the park, and if anything they just got ran over. They got they got bullied and and, and outran, and you know I, I think that's when Frank Lampard's got to take on his chin. I think we, we've all been quite critical you know, of of individual players so far and their performances, but I think the midfield earlier last night is one Frank Lampard's got to take on his on his family on his chin because he set them up like that, he put them in their positions and, and that, that's his doing because he should have known what was to come. He should know what a star gonna be up against and he should have put them out he should have set them up in a lot better way than, than, than what he did last night. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm sure there'll be a lot more dissecting of this game to come in the coming days before the uh, before the Wolves game. But uh, as Gav rightly mentioned before, you know we, we've obviously had, as we're recording on Tuesday this morning, we had the sad news that Gordon Lee, former Everton manager, has passed away at the age of 87. And you know I'll, I'll open up this up to you, Gav. Obviously, he's somebody that you'll you'll know very extensively, and you'll know how much he he means to her. Uh, to Everton's history, so uh, I'll I'll open the floor up for to you at this point. Yeah, yeah, Gordon. Um, brief sort of history. Gordon came to well, he started as a player, uh, manager of Port Vale, Blackburn, first division champion. Well, what else? Second, second tier champion. Sorry, third tier champions in in nineteen seventy four Newcastle. Um, got to the League Cup final. Um, when we sacked Billy Bingham in 1977, Gordon got the job. Uh, maybe not the first choice, uh, but um, he was uh, known as a bit of a firefighter, I think. Um, somebody who could turn things around quite quickly, and he, he did that at Everton uh, very quickly. He was a bit quirky, Gordon. He, uh, he like. You like this? Yeah, this old saying. I think you mentioned one of them too. Was it on? on we talked about um, Wembley prospects. I think last week, and I said Gordon saying about the uh, love going to Wembley. It's the sniff of the hot dog. Um, it's full full of old saying. You know, homespun sayings like that. Um, and in his first, he was looking his first season that got to the semi final. They were already in the semi final league cup against Bolton at Peter Reid. When he, when he joined, um, so we had like not so much a free pass to a cup final, but as good as, um, and then the League Cup final, unlucky against Aston Villa over three games, and then he was unlucky in the from a semi final against Liverpool in nineteen seventy seven, um, thanks to thanks to somebody we can't mention on any Royal Blue podcast or anybody. <laughs> not now the Prenos So. And then 77-78, his team played attractive football. Not all the time, a bit of rose-tinted spectacles, but they were top scorers in the in the top flight. Synonymous with Bob Latchford's 30 goals in the league season, won £10,000 off the Daily Express. And um, for, when I was researching my book about this period, it was quite clear that for a lot of Everton fans of a certain age, they cherished that season more than the, the, the successful seasons of the mid-80s because it was the first reasonably good campaign we'd had for, for several years. Um, and there's just a certain zeitgeist about it, really, um, something to cling on to. And I think Gordon's problem, though, he was, um, he was a two-year manager. I don't think he could build things. 
of which there's you know somebody come in and work with there's work with the parties and given but then when you've got to do build on that and something developing your own style you find it difficult i, I think maybe a, a modern comparison would be martinez who was good with the plays he inherited but when he had some create his own team with his own signings and his own style that's when he got found out i was a little bit i think gordon was like that uh he, he trusted all professionals um, he wasn't a, a nature of youth within the team, though some good youth players came uh, through under his wing. Um, and I, th- I think he 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 ended up buying players at the end of the 70s that Everton <laughs> should have bought in the early part of the 70s. He's buying players with 29, 30. And you were never going to develop uh, and in that, with that sort of strategy. And uh, quite quickly, it fell apart for him. Uh, notwithstanding we reached another FA Cup semi-final in 1980 against West Ham. Uh, the following year, we started off really well, but he, he got knocked out. Got knocked out of the FA Cup by Manchester City in March 81. Actually, this very week uh, in March 81. And um, it was quite clear then that his, his days were numbered and he, he, he got sacked at the end of, uh, at the, end of the campaign. Um, but... He, he was very, very, very nice man, very honest man, very popular. I think with the, with the players, Gordon, uh, certainly for his two first two years, popular with his fans. He he was unlucky, Gordon, in that I think of all the, I suppose it's an elephant in the room, of all the managers who have been affected by Liverpool's success, Gordon was the most. In terms of, I think he psychologically he was affected by, it. and and there was a simple reason for that. Is like before he came, Liverpool won a few few trophies before Gordon came to the club immediately, but that was just part seen as being part of the you know the shift and not 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 shifting the, the tectonic plates was part of the Evan flow of football in this in the city where we won trophies and Liverpool didn't uh, than they did. But it's when Gordon took over when Liverpool started winning the European Cups. And that's when the gap started to to to, um, to 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 sort of to widen significantly. And I think Gordon took that personally and was judged on that. And um, he he always felt that he was operating in the shadow across the park. Uh, and and sometimes he's judged unfairly because of that. And he was also like Notts Forest as well, the European champions under club. He was competing against them. So in some respects, his time wasn't great. But his first two years, he did he, he did as well as what any Everton manager could have, manager could have done in the circumstances. And it, it's his legacy, I suppose, that um, several of the players the mid eighties team started under good in Gordon. You know, signed Sharpie, gave Kevin Ratcliffe his debut. Kevin Richardson, Gary Stevens came to the club under his watch. A lot of players who, who worked under Gordon. Uh, at Evan, had good careers elsewhere. Uh, Mark Ward came back to the club. Gary Megson, uh, Martin Hodges, Sheffield Wednesday. So you know, play. You know, there was players who who had long league careers. Who who go, Gordon, you know, brought to Evan. Brian Burrows as well, still playing for Coventry, uh, and, and Bolton. Fifteen years after playing for, you know, coming to Evan under Gordon. So. He did. He did have a bit of a legacy, Gordon that Howard picked up on, and was quite lucky. Um, you know, and quite a few of the mid eighties team came to the club under Gordon's watch and were given de- debuts under him. So, 
and he remains to this day. Um, you know, somebody gave the club, you know, a reasonably successful time when they when they needed it, uh, when they were getting overshadowed by, you know, who across the park. So, I think somebody who's remembered quite fondly by Everton supporters. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he'll continue to be. And thoughts of everybody at the podcast are with his family and friends today, and uh, the rest of the week, I'm sure. But that's all we've got time for for today. Podcast. Thank you, lads, for joining me. We'll be back a little bit on in the week to preview Everton's home match against Wolves, which will obviously be a massive game for Frank Lampard and his squad. But thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.